0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter The Prisoner of Zender by Anthony Hope. Chapter 12. I receive a visitor and bait hook about five miles from zender on the opposite side from that on which the castle is situated there lies a large tract of wood its rising ground and in the centre of the demesne, on the top of the hill stands a fine modern chateau the property of a distant kinsman of fritz's the count stanislas von Tallenheim. count stanislas himself was a student and a recluse he seldom visited the house and had, on Fritz's request, very readily and courteously offered me its hospitality for myself and my party. This, then, was our destination, chosen ostensibly for the sake of the boar-hunting, for the wood was carefully preserved, and boars, once common all over Ruritania, were still to be found there in considerable numbers. Really, because it brought us within striking distance of the Duke of Stralsau's more magnificent dwelling on the other side of the town." A large party of servants with horses and luggage started early in the morning. We followed at midday, travelling by train for thirty miles, and then mounting our horses to ride the remaining distance to the chateau. We were a gallant party. Besides Zapt and Fritz, I was accompanied by ten gentlemen. Every one of them had been carefully chosen, and no less carefully sounded, by my two friends, and all were devotedly attached to the person of the king. They were told a part of the truth. The attempt on my life in the summer-house was revealed to them, as a spur to their loyalty, and an incitement against Michael. They were also informed that a friend of the king's was suspected to be forcibly confined within the castle of Zender. His rescue was one of the objects of the expedition, but, it was added, the king's main desire was to carry into effect certain steps against his treacherous brother, as to the precise nature of which they could not at present be further enlightened enough that the king commanded their services, and would rely on their devotion when occasion arose to call for it. Young, well-bred, brave, and loyal, they asked no more. They were ready to prove their dutiful obedience, and prayed for a fight as the best and most exhilarating mode of showing it. Thus the scene was shifted from Strelsau to the chateau of Tarleneheim, and castle of Zender, which frowned at us across the valley. I tried to shift my thoughts also, to forget my love, and to bend all my energies to the task before me. It was to get the King out of the castle alive. Force was useless, in some trick lay the chance, and I had already an inkling of what we must do. But I was terribly hampered by the publicity which attended my movements. Michael must know by now of my expedition, and I knew Michael too well to suppose that his eyes would be blinded by the faint of the boar-hunt. "'he would understand very well what the real quarry was. "'That, however, must be risked, that and all it might mean, "'for Zapt, no less than myself, recognized that the present state of things had become unendurable. "'And there was one thing that I dared to calculate on. "'Not, as I now know, without warrant. "'It was this, that Black Michael would not believe that I meant well by the King.' He could not appreciate—I must not say an honest man, for the thoughts of my own heart have been revealed—but a man acting honestly. He saw my opportunity as I had seen it, as Zapt had seen it. He knew the princess—nay, and I declare that a sneaking sort of pity for him invaded me—in his way loved her. He would think that Zapt and Fritz could be bribed, so the bribe was large enough. Thinking thus, would he kill the king, my rival, and my danger? "'Aye, ah, verily, that he would, with as little compunction as he would kill a rat. "'But he would kill Rudolph Rassendil first if he could, "'and nothing but the certainty of being utterly damned by the release of the king alive "'and his restoration to the throne would drive him to throw away the trump card "'which he held in reserve to balk the supposed game of the impudent impostor Rassendil. "'Musing on all this as I rode along, I took courage. "'Michael knew of my coming, sure enough.' I had not been in the house an hour when an imposing embassy arrived from him. He did not quite reach the impudence of sending my would-be assassins, but he sent the other three of his famous six—the three Ruritanian gentlemen—Lauengram, Kraftstein, and Rupert hentzau A fine strapping trio they were, splendidly horsed, and admirably equipped. Young Rupert, who looked like a daredevil, and could not have been more than twenty-two or twenty-three, took the lead, and made us the neatest speech, wherein my devoted subject and loving brother, Michael of Strelsau, prayed me to pardon him for not paying his addresses in person, and further, for not putting his castle at my disposal, the reason for both of these apparent derelictions being that he and several of his servants lay sick of scarlet fever, and were in a very sad and also a very infectious state. So declared young Rupert, with an insolent smile on his curling upper lip, and a toss of his thick hair. He was a handsome villain, and the gossip ran that many a lady had troubled her heart for him already. "'If my brother has scarlet fever,' said I, "'he is nearer my complexion than he is wont to be, my lord. I trust he does not suffer.' "'He is able to attend to his affairs, sire. "'I hope all beneath your roof are not sick. "'What of my good friends de Gauthier, Bersonin, and Deschard?' I heard the last had suffered a hurt. Schlauengram and, and Kraftstein looked glum and uneasy, but young Rupert's smile grew broader. "'He hopes soon to find a medicine for it.' "'Sire?' he answered. And I burst out laughing, for I knew what medicine Detchard longed for. It's called revenge. "'You will dine with us, gentlemen?' I asked." Young Rupert was profuse in apologies. They had urgent duties at the castle. "'Then,' said I, with a wave of my hand, "'to our next meeting, gentlemen, may it make us better acquainted.' "'We will pray, Your Majesty, for an early opportunity,' quoth Rupert airily, and he strode past Zat with such jeering scorn on his face that I saw the old fellow clench his fist and scowl black as night.' For my part, if a man must needs be a knave, I would have him a debonair knave, and I liked Rupert Hentsow better than his long-faced, close-eyed companions. It makes your sin no worse, as I conceive, to do it a la mode and stylishly. Now it was a curious thing that on this first night, instead of eating the excellent dinner my cooks had prepared for me, I must needs leave my gentleman to eat it alone, under Zapt's presiding care, and ride myself with Fritz to the town of Zender, and a certain little inn that I knew of. There was little danger in the excursion. The evenings were long and light, and the road this side of Zender well frequented. So off we rode, with a groom behind us. I muffled myself up in a big cloak. "'Fritz,' said I, as we entered the town, "'there's an uncommonly pretty girl at this inn.' "'How do you know?' he asked. "'Because I've been there,' said I. "'Since?' he began. "'No, before,' said I. "'But they'll recognise you.' "'Well, of course they will. Now, don't argue, my good fellow, but listen to me. We are two gentlemen of the King's household, and one of us has a toothache. The other will order a private room and a dinner, and further a bottle of the best wine for the sufferer. And if he be as clever a fellow as I take him for, the pretty girl and no other will wait on us.' "'What if she won't?' "'objected Fritz. "'My dear Fritz,' said I, "'if she won't for you, she will for me.' We were at the inn. Nothing of me but my eyes were visible as I walked in. The landlady received us. Two minutes later, my little friend, ever, I fear me, on the lookout for such guests as might prove amusing, made her appearance. Dinner and the wine were ordered. I sat down in the private room. A minute later, Fritz came in. "'She's coming.' he said. If she were not, I should have to doubt the Countess Helga's taste. She came in. I gave her time to set the wine down. I didn't want it dropped. Fritz poured out a glass and gave it to me. "'Is the gentleman in great pain?' the girl asked sympathetically. "'The gentleman is no worse than when he saw you last,' said I, throwing away my cloak. She started with a little shriek. Then she cried, "'It was the king, then. "'I told mother so, the moment I saw his picture—' "'Oh, sir, forgive me.' "'Faith, you gave me nothing that hurt much,' said I. "'But the things we said—' "'I forgive them for the thing you did. "'I must go and tell mother. "'Stop,' said I, assuming a graver air. "'We are not here for sport to-night. "'Go and bring dinner, and not a word of the king being here.' She came back in a few minutes, looking grave, yet very curious. "'Well, how is Johann? I asked, beginning my dinner. "'Oh, that fellow, sir, and my Lord King, I mean.' "'Sir, will do, please. How is he?' "'We hardly see him now, sir.' "'And why not?' "'I told him he came too often, sir,' said she, tossing her head. "'So he sulks and stays away.' "'Yes, sir.' "'But you could bring him back,' I suggested, with a smile. "'Perhaps I could.' "'said she. "'I know your powers, you see,' said I, "'and she blushed with pleasure. "'It's not only that, sir, but keeps him away. "'He's very busy at the castle.' "'But there's no shooting on now.' "'No, sir, but he's in charge of the house.' "'Johann turned housemaid?' The little girl was brimming over with gossip. "'Well, there are no others,' she said. "'There's, there's not a woman there—not a servant, I mean. "'They do say—' "'But perhaps it's false, sir. Let's have it, for what it's worth,' said I. "'Indeed, I'm ashamed to tell you, sir.' "'Oh, see, I'm looking at the ceiling. They do say there's a lady there, sir. But except for her there's not a woman in the place, and Johann has to wait on the gentleman.' "'Poor Johann! He must be overworked. Yet I'm sure he could find half an hour to come and see you.' "'It would depend on the time, sir, perhaps.' "'Do you love him?' I asked. "'Not I, sir.' "'And you wish to serve the King?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Then tell him to meet you at the second milestone out of Zender to-morrow evening at ten o'clock.' "'Say you'll be there, and we'll walk home with him.' "'Do you mean him harm, sir?' "'Not if he will do as I bid him. But I think I've told you enough, my pretty maid. See that you do as I bid you.' "'And mind, no one is to know that the King has been here.' I spoke a little sternly, for there is seldom harm in infusing a little fear into a woman's liking for you, and I softened the effect by giving her a handsome present. Then we dined, and wrapping my cloak about my face, with Fritz leading the way, we went downstairs to our horses again. It was but half-past eight, and hardly yet dark. The streets were full for such a quiet little place, and I could see that gossip was all agog with the king on one side and the duke on the other. Zender felt itself the centre of all Ruritania. We jogged gently through the town, but set our horses to a sharper pace when we reached the open country. "'You want to catch this fellow, Johan?' asked Fritz. "'Aye, and I fancy I've baited the hook right. Our little Delilah will bring our Samson. It's not enough, Fritz, to have no women in a house, though brother Michael showed some wisdom there.' "'If you want safety, you must have none within fifty miles. "'None nearer than Strelsau, for instance,' said poor Fritz, with a lovelorn sigh. "'We reached the avenue of the chateau, and were soon at the house. "'As the hoofs of our horses sounded on the gravel, "'Zap rushed out to meet us. "'Thank God you're safe,' he cried. "'Have you seen anything of them?' "'Of whom?' I asked, dismounting. "'He drew us aside, that the grooms might not hear.' "'Lad,' he said to me, "'you must not ride about here, "'unless with half a dozen of us. "'You know among our men a tall young fellow, "'Berenstein by name?' "'I knew him. "'He was a fine strapping young man, "'almost of my height and of light complexion. "'He lies in his room upstairs, "'with a bullet through his arm. "'The deuce he does!' "'After dinner he strolled out alone, "'and went a mile or so into the wood, "'and as he walked, He thought he saw three men among the trees, and one levelled a gun at him. He had no weapon, and he started to run back towards the house. But one of them fired, and he was hit, and had much ado to reach here before he fainted. By good luck they feared to pursue him nearer the house. He paused and added, "'Lad, the bullet was meant for you.' "'It's very likely,' said I, "'and it's first blood to Brother Michael.' "'I wonder which three it was,' said Fritz. "'Well, zapped," I said, "'I went out to-night for no idle purpose, as you shall hear. "'But there's one thing in my mind.' "'What's that?' he asked. "'Why, this,' I answered, "'that I shall ill-requite the very great honours Ruritania has done me. "'If I depart from it, leaving one of those six alive, "'neither with the help of God will I.' "'And Zapped shook my hand on that.' End of chapter 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy The Prisoner of Zender by Anthony Hope. Chapter thirteen An Improvement on Jacob's Ladder. In the morning of the day after that on which I swore my oath against the six, I gave certain orders, and then rested in greater contentment than I had known for some time. I was at work, and work, though it cannot cure love, is yet a narcotic to it, so that Zapt, who grew feverish, marvelled to see me sprawling in an armchair in the sunshine, listening to one of my friends who sang me amorous songs in a mellow voice, and induced in me a pleasing melancholy. Thus was I engaged when young Rupert Hentzow, who feared neither man nor devil, and rode through the demesne, where every tree might hide a marksman for all he knew, as though it had been the park at Strelzow. Cantered up to where i lay bowing with burlesque deference and craving private speech with me in order to deliver a message from the duke of Strelsau. i made all withdraw and then he said seating himself by me the king is in love it seems not with life my lord said i smiling it is well he rejoined come we are alone rassendil i rose to a sitting posture "'What's the matter?' he asked. "'I was about to call one of my gentlemen to bring you your horse, my lord. "'If you do not know how to address the king, my brother must find another messenger.' "'Why keep up the farce?' he asked, negligently dusting his boot with his glove. "'Because it is not finished yet. "'And meanwhile I'll choose my own name.' "'Oh, so be it! "'Yet I spoke in love for you.' FOR INDEED YOU'RE A MAN AFTER MY OWN HEART. SAVING MY POOR HONESTY, SAID I, MAYBE I AM, BUT THAT I KEEP FAITH WITH MEN, AND HONOR WITH WOMEN, MAYBE I AM, MY LORD. HE DARTED A GLANCE AT ME, A GLANCE OF ANGER. IS YOUR MOTHER DEAD? SAID I. AYE, SHE'S DEAD. SHE MAY THANK GOD, SAID I, AND I HEARD HIM CURSE ME SOFTLY. "'Well, what's the message?' I continued. I had touched him on the raw, for all the world knew he had broken his mother's heart, and flaunted his mistresses in her house, and his airy manner was gone for the moment. "'The duke offers you more than I would,' he growled. "'A halter for you, sire, was my suggestion. "'But he offers you safe conduct across the frontier, and a million crowns.' "'I prefer your offer, my lord, if I am bound to one.' you refuse?' "'Of course.' "'I told Michael you would.' And the villain, his temper restored, gave me the sunniest of smiles. "'The fact is, between ourselves,' he continued, "'Michael doesn't understand a gentleman.' I began to laugh. "'And you?' I asked. "'I do,' he said.' "'Well, well, the halter be it.' "'I'm sorry you won't live to see it,' I observed. "'Has His Majesty done me the honour to fasten a particular quarrel on me?' "'I would you were a few years older, though.' "'Oh, God gives years, but the devil gives increase,' laughed he. "'I can hold my own.' "'How is your prisoner?' I asked.' your prisoner i forgot your wishes sire. well he is alive he rose to his feet i imitated him then with a smile he said and the pretty princess faith i'll wager the next elfberg will be red enough for all that black michael will be called his father i sprang a step towards him clenching my hand he did not move an inch and his lip curled in insolent amusement "'Go while your skin's whole!' I muttered. "'He had repaid me with interest my hit about his mother. "'Then came the most audacious thing I have known in my life. "'My friends were some thirty yards away. "'Rupert called to a groom to bring him his horse, "'and dismissed the fellow with a crown. "'The horse stood near. "'I stood still, suspecting nothing. "'Rupert made as though to mount. "'And then he suddenly turned to me, "'his left hand resting in his belt, his right outstretched. "'Shake hands,' he said. "'I bowed, and did as he had foreseen. "'I put my hand behind me. "'Quicker than thought, his left hand darted out at me, "'and a small dagger flashed in the air. "'He struck me in the left shoulder. "'Had I not swerved, it had been my heart.' "'With a cry I staggered back. "'Without touching the stirrup, he leapt on his horse, "'and was off like an arrow.' pursued by cries and revolver-shots, the last as useless as the first, and I sank into my chair, bleeding profusely, as I watched the devil's brat disappear down the long avenue. My friends surrounded me, and then I fainted. I supposed that I was put to bed, and there lay unconscious or half-conscious for many hours, for it was night when I awoke to my full mind, and found Fritz beside me. I was weak and weary, but he bade me of good cheer, saying that my wound would soon heal, and that meanwhile all had gone well, for Johann the keeper had fallen into the snare we had laid for him, and was even now in the house. And the queer thing is, pursued Fritz, that I fancy he's not altogether sorry to find himself there. He seems to think that when Black Michael has brought off his coup, witnesses of how it was effected, saving, of course, the six themselves— will not be at a premium. This idea argued a shrewdness in our captive, which led me to build hopes on his assistance. I ordered him to be brought at once. Zapt conducted him, and set him in a chair by my bedside. He was sullen and afraid. But, to say truth, after young Rupert's exploit, we also had our fears, and, if he got as far as possible from Zapt's formidable six-shooter, Zapt kept him as far as he could from me. Moreover, when he came in, his hands were bound, but that I would not suffer. I need not stay to recount the safeguards and rewards we promised the fellow, all of which were honourably observed and paid, so that he lives now in prosperity, though where I may not mention, and we were the more free, inasmuch as we soon learnt that he was rather a weak man than a wicked, and had acted throughout this matter more from fear of the Duke and of his own brother Max, than for any love of what was done. But he had persuaded all of his loyalty, and though not in their secret councils, was yet, by his knowledge of their dispositions within the castle, able to lay bare before us the very heart of their devices. And here, in brief, is his story. Below the level of the ground in the castle, approached by a flight of stone steps, which abutted on the end of the drawbridge, were situate two small rooms, cut out of the rock itself. The outer of the two had no windows, but was always lighted with candles. The inner had one square window, which gave upon the moat. In the outer room there lay always, day and night, three of the six, and the instructions of Duke Michael were that on any attack being made on the outer room, the three were to defend the door of it, so long as they could, without risk to themselves. But so soon as the door should be in danger of being forced— then Rupert Hentzow or Dechard, for one of these two was always there, should leave the others to hold it as long as they could, and himself pass into the inner room, and without more ado kill the king who lay there, well treated indeed, but without weapons, and with his arms confined in fine steel chains, which did not allow him to move his elbow more than three inches from his side. Thus, before the outer door was stormed, the king would be dead, and his body— his body would be evidence as damning as himself nay sir said johann his highness has thought of that while the two hold the outer room the one who has killed the king unlocks the bars in the square window they turn on a hinge the window now gives no light for its mouth is choked by a great pipe of earthenware and this pipe which is large enough to let pass through it the body of a man passes into the moat coming to an end immediately above the surface of the water so that there is no perceptible interval between water and pipe the king being dead his murderer swiftly ties a weight to the body and dragging it to the window raises it by a pulley. for lest the weight should prove too great deschard has provided one till it is level with the mouth of the pipe he inserts the feet in the pipe and pushes the body down Silently, without a splash or sound, it falls into the water, and thence to the bottom of the moat, which is twenty feet deep thereabouts. This done, the murderer cries loudly, "'All's well!' and himself slides down the pipe. And the others, if they can, and the attack is not too hot, run to the inner room, and, seeking a moment's delay, bar the door, and in their turn slide down, and though the king rises not from the bottom— "'They rise, and swim round to the other side, where the orders are for men to weight them with ropes, to haul them out, and horses. "'And here, if things go ill, the duke will join them, and seek safety by riding. "'But if all goes well, they will return to the castle, and have their enemies in a trap. "'That, sir, is the plan of his highness for the disposal of the king, in case of need. "'But it is not to be used till the last.' "'for, as we all know, he is not minded to kill the king, "'unless he can, before or soon after, kill you also, sir. "'Now, sir, I have spoken the truth, as God is my witness, "'and I pray you to shield me from the vengeance of Duke Michael, "'for if, after he knows what I have done, I fall into his hands, "'I shall pray for one thing out of all the world, a speedy death, "'and that I shall not obtain from him.' "'The fellow's story was rudely told.' but our questions supplemented his narrative. What he had told us applied to an armed attack. But if suspicions were aroused, and there came an overwhelming force, such, for instance, as I, the King, could bring, the idea of resistance would be abandoned. The King would be quietly murdered and slid down the pipe, and—here comes an ingenious touch—one of the six would take his place in the cell, and on the entrance of the searchers loudly demand release and redress and Michael, being summoned, would confess to hasty action, but would say that the man had angered him by seeking the favour of a lady in the castle. This was Antoinette de Maubin, and he had confined him there, as he conceived he, as Lord of Zender, had the right to do. But he was now, on receiving his apology, content to let him go, and so end the gossip, which, to his highness's annoyance, had arisen concerning a prisoner in Zender, and had given his visitors the trouble of this inquiry. The visitors, baffled, would retire, and Michael could, at his leisure, dispose of the body of the King. Zapt, Fritz, and I, in my bed, looked round on one another in horror and bewilderment at the cruelty and cunning of the plan. Whether I went in peace or in war, openly at the head of a corps, or secretly by a stealthy assault, the King would be dead before I could come near him. If Michael were stronger and overcame my party, there would be an end but if I were stronger I should have no way to punish him, no means of proving any guilt in him, without proving my own guilt also. On the other hand, I should be left as king. Ah! for a moment my pulse quickened, and it would be for the future to witness the final struggle between him and me. He seemed to have made triumph possible and ruin impossible— at the worst he would stand as well as he had stood before I crossed his path, with but one man between him and the throne, and that man an impostor. At best there would be none left to stand against him. I had begun to think that Black Michael was over-fond of leaving the fighting to his friends, but now I acknowledged that the brains, if not the arms, of the conspiracy were his. "'Does the King know this?' I asked. "'I and my brother,' answered Johann, put up the pipe under the orders of my lord of henzal he was on guard that day and the king asked my lord what it meant faith he answered with his airy laugh it's a new improvement on the ladder of jacob whereby as you have read sire men pass from earth to heaven we thought it not meet that your majesty should go in case sire you must go by the common route so we have made you a pretty private passage where the vulgar cannot stare at you or incommode your passage. That, sire, is the meaning of that pipe. And he laughed and bowed and prayed the king's leave to replenish the king's glass, for the king was at supper. And the king, though he is a brave man, as are all of his house, grew red and then white as he looked on the pipe and at the merry devil who mocked him. Ah, sir, and the fellow shuddered, it is not easy to sleep quiet in the castle of Zender.' for all them would as soon cut a man's throat as play a game at cards and my lord rupert would choose it sooner for a pastime than any other nay sooner than he would ruin a woman though that he loves also the man ceased and i bade fritz take him away and have him carefully guarded and turning to him i added if any one asks you if there is a prisoner in zender you may answer yes but if any asks who the prisoner is do not answer "'for all my promises will not save you "'if any man here learns from you "'the truth as to the prisoner in Zender. "'I'll kill you like a dog "'if the thing be so much breathed within the house.' "'Then, when he was gone, I looked at Zapt. "'It's a hard nut,' said I. "'So hard,' said he, shaking his grizzled head, "'that I think this time next year "'is like to find you still king of Ruritania.' "'and he broke out into curses on Michael's cunning. "'I lay back on my pillows. "'There seemed to me, I observed, to be two ways "'by which the King can come out of Zender alive. "'One is by treachery in the Duke's followers.' "'You can leave that out,' said Zapt. "'I hope not,' I rejoined. "'Because the other I was about to mention is "'by a miracle from Heaven.' End of chapter 13 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter The Prisoner of Zender by Anthony Hope. Chapter 14 A Night Outside the Castle. It would have surprised the good people of Ruritania to know of the foregoing talk, for according to the official reports, I had suffered a grievous and dangerous hurt from an accidental spear thrust received in the course of my sport. I caused the bulletins to be of a very serious character and created great public excitement, whereby three things occurred. Firstly, I gravely offended the medical faculty of Stralsau by refusing to summon to my bedside any of them, save a young man, a friend of Fritz's, whom we could trust. Secondly, I received word from Marshal Strackens that my orders seemed to have no more weight than his, and that the Princess Flavia was leaving for Talenheim under his unwilling escort news whereof I strove not to be glad and proud. And thirdly, my brother, the Duke of Strelsau, although too well informed to believe the accounts of the origin of my sickness, was yet persuaded by the reports, and by my seeming inactivity, that I was in truth incapable of action, and that my life was in some danger. This I learnt from the man Johann, whom I was compelled to trust and send back to Zender, where, by the way, Rupert Hentzow had him soundly flogged for daring to smirch the morals of Zender by staying out all night in the pursuits of love. This, from Rupert, Johann deeply resented, and the Duke's approval of it, did more to bind the keeper to my side than all my promises. On Flavia's arrival I cannot dwell. Her joy at finding me up and well, instead of on my back and fighting with death, makes a picture that even now dances before my eyes till they grow too dim to see it, and her reproaches that I had not trusted even her must excuse the means I took to quiet them. In truth, to have her with me once more was like a taste of heaven to a damned soul, the sweeter for the inevitable doom that was to follow. And I rejoiced in being able to waste two whole days with her, and when I had wasted two days— the Duke of Strelzow arranged a hunting-party. The stroke was near now, for Zapt and I, after anxious consultations, had resolved that we must risk a blow, our resolution being clinched by Johann's news that the King grew peaked, pale, and ill, and that his health was breaking down under his rigorous confinement. Now a man, be he king or no king, May as well die swiftly and as becomes a gentleman from bullet or thrust as rot his life out in a cellar. That thought made prompt action advisable in the interests of the king. From my own point of view, it grew more and more necessary, for Strakentz urged on me the need of a speedy marriage, and my own inclinations seconded him with such terrible insistence that I feared for my resolution. I do not believe that I should have done the deed I dreamt of. But I might have come to flight, and my flight would have ruined the cause. And, yes, I am no saint, ask my little sister-in-law, and worse still might have happened. It is perhaps as strange a thing as has ever been in the history of a country, that the king's brother and the king's personator, in a time of profound outward peace, near a placid, undisturbed country town, under semblance of amity, should wage a desperate war for the person and life of the king. Yet such was the struggle that began now, between Zender and Tallenheim. When I look back on the time, I seem to myself to have been half mad. Zapt has told me that I suffered no interference, and listened to no remonstrances, and if ever a king of Ruritania ruled like a despot, I was, in those days, the man. Look where I would! I saw nothing that made life sweet to me and I took my life in my hand and carried it carelessly as a man dangles an old glove. At first they strove to guard me, to keep me safe, to persuade me not to expose myself, but when they saw how I was set, there grew up among them, whether they knew the truth or not, a feeling that fate ruled the issue, and that I must be left to play my game with Michael my own way. Late next night I rose from the table, where Flavia had sat by me, "'and conducted her to the door of her apartments. "'There I kissed her hand and bade her sleep sound and wake to happy days. "'Then I changed my clothes and went out. "'Zapt and Fritz were waiting for me with six men and the horses. "'Over his saddle Zapt carried a long coil of rope, and both were heavily armed. "'I had with me a short, stout cudgel and a long knife. "'Making a circuit we avoided the town.' and in an hour found ourselves slowly mounting the hill that led to the castle of Zender. The night was dark and very stormy. Gusts of wind and spits of rain caught us as we breasted the incline, and the great trees moaned and sighed. When we came to a thick clump, about a quarter of a mile from the castle, we bade our six friends hide there with the horses. Zapt had a whistle, and they could rejoin us in a few moments if danger came. But up to now we had met no one. I hoped that Michael was still off his guard, believing me to be safe in bed. However that might be, we gained the top of the hill without accident, and found ourselves on the edge of the moat, where it sweeps under the road, separating the old castle from it. A tree stood on the edge of the bank, and zapped silently and diligently set to make fast the rope. I stripped off my boots, took a pull at a flask of brandy, loosened the knife in its sheath, and took the cudgel between my teeth. Then I shook hands with my friends, not heeding a last look of entreaty from Fritz, and laid hold of the rope. I was going to have a look at Jacob's Ladder. Gently I lowered myself into the water. Though the night was wild, the day had been warm and bright, and the water was not cold. I struck out, and began to swim round the great walls which frowned above me. I could see only three yards ahead— I had then good hopes of not being seen as I crept along close under the damp, moss-grown masonry. There were lights from the new part of the castle on the other side, and now and again I heard laughter and merry shouts. I fancied I recognised young Rupert Hentsau's ringing tones, and pictured him flushed with wine. Recalling my thought to the business in hand, I rested a moment. If Johann's description were right, I must be near the window now— Very slowly I moved, and out of the darkness ahead loomed a shape. It was the pipe, curving from the window to the water. About four feet of its surface were displayed. It was as big round as two men. I was about to approach it when I saw something else, and my heart stood still. The nose of a boat protruded beyond the pipe on the other side, and listening intently I heard a slight shuffle, as of a man shifting his position." who was the man who guarded Michael's invention? Was he awake, or was he asleep? I felt if my knife were ready, and trod water. As I did so, I found bottom under my feet. The foundations of the castle extended some fifteen inches, making a ledge, and I stood on it, out of the water from my armpits upward. Then I crouched and peered through the darkness under the pipe, where, curving, it left a space." There was a man in the boat. A rifle lay by him. I saw the gleam of the barrel. Here was the sentinel. He sat very still. I listened. He breathed heavily, regularly, monotonously. By heaven he slept. Kneeling on the shelf, I drew forward under the pipe, till my face was within two feet of his. He was a big man, I saw. It was Max Holf, the brother of Johann. My hand stole to my belt, and I drew out my knife. Of all the deeds of my life, I love the least to think of this, and whether it were the act of a man or a traitor, I will not ask. I said to myself, It is war, and the king's life is the stake. And I raised myself from beneath the pipe, and stood up by the boat, which lay moored by the ledge. Holding my breath, I marked the spot, and raised my arm. The great fellow stirred. He opened his eyes. "'Wide! Wider!' He gasped in terror at my face and clutched at his rifle. I struck home, and I heard the chorus of a love-song from the opposite bank. Leaving him where he lay, a huddled mass, I turned to Jacob's ladder. My time was short. This fellow's turn of watching might be over directly, and relief would come. "'Leaning over the pipe I examined it, from the end near the water to the topmost extremity, "'where it passed, or seemed to pass, through the masonry of the wall. "'There was no break in it, no chink. "'Dropping on my knees I tested the underside, and my breath went quick and fast, "'for on this lower side, where the pipe should have clung close to the masonry, "'there was a gleam of light. "'That light must come from the cell of the King. "'I set my shoulder against the pipe, and exerted my strength.' the chink widened a very very little and hastily i desisted i had done enough to show that the pipe was not fixed in the masonry at the lower side then i heard a voice a harsh grating voice well sir if you have had enough of my society i will leave you to repose but i must fasten the little ornaments first it was detchard i caught the english accent in a moment "'Have you anything to ask, sire, before we part?' The king's voice followed. It was his, though it was faint and hollow, different from the merry tones I had heard in the glades of the forest. "'Pray to my brother,' said the king, "'to kill me. I am dying by inches here. "'The duke does not desire your death, sire.' "'Yet,' sneered Detchard, "'when he does, behold, your path to heaven.' "'The King answered, "'So be it. "'And now, if your orders allow it, pray leave me. "'May you dream of paradise,' said the ruffian. "'The light disappeared. "'I heard the bolts of the door run home, "'and then I heard the sobs of the King. "'He was alone, as he thought. "'Who dares mock at him?' "'I did not venture to speak to him.' The risk of some exclamation escaping him in surprise was too great. I dared do nothing that night, and my task now was to get myself away in safety, and to carry off the carcass of the dead man. To leave him there would tell too much. Casting loose the boat, I got in. The wind was blowing a gale now, and there was little danger of oars being heard. I rowed swiftly round to where my friends waited. I had just reached the spot, when a loud whistle sounded over the moat behind me. "'Hello, Max!' I heard shouted. I hailed Zapt in a low tone. The rope came down. I tied it round the corpse, and then went up it myself. "'Whistle you, too,' I whispered. "'For our men, and haul in the line. No talk now.' They hauled up the body. Just as it reached the road, three men on horseback swept round from the front of the castle— we saw them, but being on foot ourselves we escaped their notice, but we heard our men coming up with a shout. "'The devil! But it's dark!' cried a ringing voice. It was young Rupert. A moment later shots rang out. Our people had met them. I started forward at a run, Zapt and Fritz following me. "'Thrust! Thrust!' cried Rupert again, and a loud groan following, told that he himself was not behindhand. "'Ah!' "'I am done, Rupert,' cried a voice. "'They're three to one. Save yourself.' I ran on, holding my cudgel in my hand. Suddenly a horse came toward me. A man was on it, leaning over his shoulder. "'Are you cooked too, Kraftstein?" he cried. There was no answer. I sprang to the horse's head. It was Rupert Hentzow. "'At last!' I cried, for we seemed to have him. He had only his sword in his hand. My men were hot upon him. Zapt and Fritz were running up. I had outstripped them. But if they got close enough to fire, he must die or surrender. "'At last!' I cried. "Uh, "'It's the play-actor!' cried he, slashing at my cudgel. He cut it clean in two. And judging discretion better than death, I ducked my head, and I blush to tell it scampered for my life. The devil was in Rupert Hentzow.' for he put spurs to his horse, and I, turning to look, saw him ride, full gallop, to the edge of the moat, and leap in, while the shots of our party fell thick round him, like hail. With one gleam of moonlight we should have riddled him with balls, but in the darkness he won to the corner of the castle, and vanished from our sight. "'The deuce take him!' grinned Zat. "'It's a pity,' said I, "'that he's a villain. Whom have we got?' We had Lauen, and Kraftstein. They lay dead, and concealment being no longer possible, we flung them, with Max, into the moat, and drawing together in a compact body, rode off and down the hill, and in our midst went the bodies of three gallant gentlemen. Then we travelled home, heavy at heart for the death of our friends, sore uneasy concerning the king, and cut to the quick that young Rupert had played yet another winning hand with us. For my own part, I was vexed and angry that I had killed no man in open fight, but only stabbed a knave in his sleep, and I did not love to hear Rupert call me a play actor. End of chapter fourteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter The Prisoner of Zender By Anthony Hope Chapter 15 I Talk With a Tempter ruritania is not england or the quarrel between duke michael and myself could not have gone on with the extraordinary incidents which marked it without more public notice being directed to it duels were frequent among all the upper classes and private quarrels between great men kept the old habit of spreading to their friends and dependents nevertheless after the affair which i have just related such reports began to circulate that I felt it necessary to be on my guard. The death of the gentlemen involved could not be hidden from their relatives. I issued a stern order, declaring that duelling had attained unprecedented licence. The Chancellor drew up the document for me, and very well he did it, and forbidding it, save in the gravest cases. I sent a public and stately apology to Michael, and he returned a deferential and courteous reply to me. For our one point of union was, and it underlay all our differences, and induced an unwilling harmony between our actions, that we could neither of us afford to throw our cards on the table. He, as well as I, was a play-actor, and, hating one another, we combined to duke public opinion. Unfortunately, however, the necessity for concealment involved the necessity of delay. The King might die in his prison or even be spirited off somewhere else, it could not be helped. For a little while I was compelled to observe a truce, and my only consolation was that Flavia most warmly approved of my edict against duelling, and when I expressed delight at having won her favour, prayed me, if her favour were any motive to me, to prohibit the practice altogether. "'Wait till we are married,' said I, smiling. Not the least peculiar result of the truce— and of the secrecy which dictated it, was that the town of Zender became, in the daytime—I would not have trusted far to its protection by night—a sort of neutral zone, where both parties could safely go. And I, riding down one day with Flavia and Zapt, had an encounter with an acquaintance, which presented a ludicrous side, but was at the same time embarrassing. As I rode along, I met a dignified-looking person, driving in a two-horsed carriage he stopped his horses, got out, and approached me, bowing low. I recognized the head of the Strelszow police. Your Majesty's ordinance as to duelling is receiving our best attention," he assured me. If the best attention involved his presence in Zender, I determined at once to dispense with it. Is that what brings you to Zender, Prefect? I asked. Why, no, sire. "'I am here because I desire to oblige the British ambassador.' "'What's the British ambassador doing dans cette carrière?' said I, carelessly. "'A young countryman of his, sire, a man of some position, is missing. "'His friends have not heard from him for two months, "'and there is reason to believe that he was last seen in Zender.' Flavia was paying little attention. I dared not look at Zapt. "'What reason?' "'A friend of his in Paris, a a certain Monsieur Featherly, has given us information which makes it possible that he came here, and the officials of the railway recollect his name on some luggage.' "'What was his name?' "'Rassendil, sire,' he answered, and I saw that the name meant nothing to him. But, glancing at Flavia, he lowered his voice, as he went on— "'It is thought that he may have followed a lady here. "'Has your Majesty heard of a certain Madame de Maubin?' "'Why, yes,' said I, my eye involuntarily travelling towards the castle. "'She arrived in Ruritania about the same time as this Rassendil.' I caught the prefect's glance. He was regarding me with inquiry writ large on his face. "'Zapt,' said I, "'I must speak a word to the prefect. "'Will you ride on a few paces with the princess?' "'And I added to the prefect, "'Come, sir, what do you mean?' "'He drew close to me, and I bent in the saddle. "'If he were in love with the lady,' he whispered, "'nothing has been heard of him for two months. "'And this time—' "'It was the eye of the prefect which travelled towards the castle.' "'Yes, the lady is there,' I said quietly. "'But I don't suppose Mr. Rassendil—is that the name?—is—the duke?' he whispered. "'Does not like rivals, sire?' "'You're right there,' said I, with all sincerity. "'But surely you hint at a very grave charge.' He spread his hands out in apology. "'I whispered in his ear, "'This is a grave matter. "'Go back to Streltsau.' "'But, sire, if I have a clue here—' "'Go back to Streltsau,' I repeated. "'Tell the ambassador that you have a clue, "'but that you must be left alone for a week or two. "'Meanwhile I'll charge myself with looking into the matter.' "'The ambassador is very pressing, sire.' "'You must quiet him. "'Come, sir.' You see that if your suspicions are correct, it is an affair in which we must move with caution. We can have no scandal. Mind you return to-night.' He promised to obey me, and I rode on to rejoin my companions, a little easier in my mind. Inquiries after me must be stopped at all hazards for a week or two, and this clever official had come surprisingly near the truth. His impression might be useful some day, but if he acted on it now— it might mean the worst to the King. Heartily did I curse George Featherly for not holding his tongue.' "'Well,' asked Flavia, "'have you finished your business?' "'Most satisfactorily,' said I. "'Come, shall we turn round?' We were almost trenching on my brother's territory. "'We were, in fact, at the extreme end of the town, just where the hill begins to mount towards the castle.' We cast our eyes up, admiring the massive beauty of the old walls, and we saw a cortege winding slowly down the hill. On it came. "'Let us go back,' said Sapt. "'I should like to stay,' said Flavia, and I reined my horse beside hers. We could distinguish the approaching party now. There came first two mounted servants in black uniforms, relieved only by a silver badge.' These were followed by a car, drawn by four horses. On it, under a heavy pall, lay a coffin. Behind it rode a man in plain black clothes, carrying his hat in his hand. Zapped uncovered, and we stood waiting, Flavia keeping by me, and laying her hand on my arm. "'It is one of the gentlemen killed in the quarrel, I expect,' she said. I beckoned to a groom. "'Ride and ask who they escort,' I ordered.' He rode up to the servants, and I saw him pass on to the gentleman who rode behind. "'It's Rupert of Hentsal,' whispered Zapt. Rupert it was, and directly afterward, waving to the procession to stand still, Rupert trotted up to me. He was in a frock-coat, tightly buttoned, and trousers. He wore an aspect of sadness, and he bowed with profound respect. Yet suddenly he smiled— And I smiled, too, for old Zapp's hand lay in his left breast-pocket, and Rupert and I both guessed what lay in the hand inside the pocket. "'Your Majesty asks whom we escort,' said Rupert. "'It is my dear friend, Albert of Lowengram.' "'Sir,' said I, "'no one regrets the unfortunate affair more than I. My ordinance, which I mean to have obeyed, is witness to it poor fellow said flavia softly and i saw rupert's eyes flash at her whereat i grew red for if i had my way rupert hentzow should not have defiled her by so much as a glance yet he did it and dared to let admiration be seen in his look your majesty's words are gracious he said i grieve for my friend yet sire others must soon lie as he lies now "'It is a thing we all do well to remember, my lord,' I rejoined. "'Even kings, sire,' said Rupert, in a moralising tone, and old Zapt swore softly by my side. "'It is true,' said I. "'How fares my brother, my lord?' "'He is better, sire.' "'I am rejoiced. "'He hopes soon to leave for Strelsau, when his health is secured.' "'He is only convalescent, then.' there remain one or two small troubles,' answered the insolent fellow, in the mildest tone in the world. "'Express my earnest hope,' said Flavia, "'that they may soon cease to trouble him.' "'Your Royal Highness's wish is humbly my own,' said Rupert, with a bold glance that brought a blush to Flavia's cheek. I bowed, and Rupert, bowing lower, backed his horse, and signed to his party to proceed. With a sudden impulse I rode after him. He turned swiftly, fearing that even in the presence of the dead, and before a lady's eyes, I meant him mischief. "'You fought as a brave man the other night,' I said. "'Come, you are young, sir. If you will deliver your prisoner alive to me, you shall come to no hurt.' He looked at me with a mocking smile. But suddenly he rode nearer to me. I'm unarmed, he said, and our old Zap there could pick me off in a minute. I'm not afraid, said I. No, curse you, he answered. Look here, I made you a proposal from the Duke once. I'll hear nothing from Black Michael, said I. Then hear one from me. He lowered his voice to a whisper. Attack the castle boldly. Let Zapt and Tallenheim lead. "'Go on,' said I. "'Arrange the time with me.' "'I have such confidence in you, my lord. "'Tat I am talking business now. "'Zapt there, and Fritz will fall. "'Black Michael will fall. "'What?' "'Black Michael will fall, like that dog he is. "'The prisoner, as you call him?' "'We'll go by Jacob's Ladder. "'You knew that. "'To hell! Two men will be left. "'I, Rupert Henson, "'and you, the King of Ruritania.' "'He paused, "'and then in a voice that quivered with eagerness added, "'Isn't that a hand to play? "'A throne, and your princess, "'and for me, say, a competence, "'and your Majesty's gratitude?' "'Surely,' I exclaimed, "'while you're above ground, hell wants its master.' "'Well, think it over,' he said, "'and look, you, it would take more than a scruple or two "'to keep me from yonder girl.' "'And his evil eye flashed again at her I loved. "'Get out of my reach,' said I. "'And yet in a moment I began to laugh for the very audacity of it. "'Would you turn against your master?' I asked. He swore at Michael, for being what the offspring of a legal, though morganatic, union should not be called, and said to me in an almost confidential and apparently friendly tone, "'He gets in my way, you know. He's a jealous brute. Faith, I nearly stuck a knife into him last night. He came most cursedly, mais apropos My temper was well under control now. I was learning something. "'A lady?' I asked negligently. "'Aye, and a beauty,' he nodded. "'I bet you've seen her.' "'Ah! Was it at a tea-party, when some of your friends got on the wrong side of the table?' "'What can you expect of fools like Deschardes and de Gote? I wish I'd been there.' "'And the Duke interferes?' "'Well,' said Rupert, meditatively, "'that's hardly a fair way of putting it, perhaps.' "'I want to interfere.' "'And she prefers the Duke.' "'Ay, the silly creature.' "'Ah, well, you think about my plan.' And with a bow he pricked his horse and trotted off after the body of his friend. I went back to Flavia and Zapt, pondering on the strangeness of the man. Wicked men I have known in plenty. But Rupert Hentzow remains unique in my experience— and if there be another anywhere, let him be caught and hanged out of hand. So say I. "'He's very handsome, isn't he?' said Flavia. "'Well, of course, she didn't know him as I did. Yet I was put out, for I thought his bold glances would have made her angry. But my dear Flavia was a woman, and so she was not put out. On the contrary, she thought young Rupert very handsome. Oh! as beyond question the ruffian was!' "'And how sad he looked at his friend's death,' said she. "'He'll have better reason to be sad at his own,' observed Zapt, with a grim smile. "'As for me, I grew sulky. Unreasonable it was, perhaps. For what better business had I to look at her with love than had even Rupert's lustful eyes? And sulky I remained, till as evening fell, and we rode up to Tarlenheim, Zapt having fallen behind, in case anyone should be following us. Flavia, riding close beside me, said softly, with a little, half-ashamed laugh, "'Unless you smile, Rudolph, I cry. Why are you angry?' "'It was something that fellow said to me,' said I. But I was smiling as we reached the doors and dismounted. There a servant handed me a note. It was unaddressed.' "'Is it for me?' I asked. "'Yes, sir. A boy brought it.' I tore it open.' "'Johann carries this for me. "'I warned you once, in the name of God, "'and if you are a man, rescue me from this den of murderers. "'A de M. I handed it to Zapt. "'But all the tough old soldier said in reply to this piteous appeal was, "'Whose fault brought her there?' "'Nevertheless, not being faultless myself, "'I took leave to pity Antoinette de Bombard.' End of chapter 15 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter THE PRISONER OF ZENDER BY ANTONY HOPE CHAPTER Sixteen, A DESPERATE PLAN As I had ridden publicly in Zender, and had talked there with Rupert Hentzow, of course all pretense of illness was at an end. I marked the effect on the garrison of Zender. They ceased to be seen abroad, and any of my men who went near the castle reported that the utmost vigilance prevailed there touched as I was by Madame de Maubin's appeal, I seemed as powerless to befriend her as I had proved to help the King. Michael bade me defiance, and although he too had been seen outside the walls, with more disregard for appearance than he had hitherto shown, he did not take the trouble to send any excuse for his failure to wait on the King. Time ran on in inactivity, when every moment was pressing— for not only was I faced with the new danger which the stir about my own disappearance brought on me, but great murmurs had arisen in Strelsau at my continued absence from the city. They had been greater, but for the knowledge that Flavia was with me, and for this reason I suffered her to stay, though I hated to have her where danger was, and though every day of our present sweet intercourse strained my endurance almost to breaking. As a final blow— Nothing would content my advisers, Strykentz and the Chancellor, who came out from Strelsau to make an urgent representation to me, save that I should appoint a day for the public solemnisation of my betrothal, a ceremony which in Ruritania is well-nigh as binding and greater thing as the marriage itself. And this, with Flavia sitting by me, I was forced to do, setting a day a fortnight ahead, and appointing the cathedral in Strelsau as the place— And this formal act being published far and wide caused great joy throughout the kingdom, and was the talk of all tongues, so that I reckoned there were but two men who chafed at it-I mean Black Michael and myself-and but one who did not know of it-that one, the man whose name I bore, the King of Ruritania. In truth, I heard something of the way the news was received in the castle, for after an interval of three days, The man Johann, greedy for more money, though fearful for his life, again found means to visit us. He had been waiting on the Duke when the tidings came. Black Michael's face had grown blacker still, and he had sworn savagely. Nor was he better pleased when young Rupert took oath that I meant to do as I said, and turning to Madame de Maubin, wished her joy on a rival gone. "'Michael's hand stole towards his sword,' said Johann but not a bit did Rupert care, for he rallied the duke on having made a better king than had reigned for years past in Ruritania. And, said he, with a meaning bow to his exasperated master, the devil sends the princess a finer man than heaven had marked out for her. My, my soul, it does. Then Michael harshly bade him hold his tongue and leave them. But Rupert must needs first kiss Madame's hand, which he did as though he loved her, while Michael glared at him. This was the lighter side of the fellow's news, but more serious came behind, and it was plain that if time pressed at Tarlenheim, it pressed none the less fiercely at Zender, for the king was very sick, Johann had seen him, and he was wasted and hardly able to move. There could be no thought of taking another for him now. So alarmed were they, that they had sent for a physician from Strelsau, and the physician, having been introduced into the king's cell, had come forth pale and trembling, and urgently prayed the Duke to let him go back, and meddle no more in the affair. But the Duke would not, and held him there a prisoner, telling him his life was safe, if the King lived while the Duke desired, and died when the Duke desired, not otherwise. And persuaded by the physician, they had allowed Madame de Maubin to visit the King, and give him such attendance as his state needed, and as only a woman can give. Yet his life hung in the balance, and I was still strong and whole and free. Wherefore great gloom reigned at Zender, and save when they quarrelled, to which they were very prone, they hardly spoke. But the deeper the depression of the rest, young Rupert went about his Satan's work with a smile in his eye and a song on his lip, and laughed fit to burst, said Johann, because the Duke always set Deschard to guard the king when Madame de Maubin was in the cell which precaution was indeed not unwise in my careful brother. Thus Johann told his tale and seized his crowns, yet he besought us to allow him to stay with us in Tarlenheim, and not venture his head again in the lion's den. But we had need of him there, and although I refused to constrain him, I prevailed on him, by increased rewards, to go back and carry tidings to Madame de Maubin that I was working for her, and that, if she could, she should speak one word of comfort to the king. For while suspense is bad for the sick, yet despair is worse still, and it might be that the king lay dying of mere hopelessness, for I could learn of no definite disease that afflicted him. "'And how do they guard the king now?' I asked, remembering that two of the six were dead, and Max Holf also. "'Dechard and Bosonin watch by night, Rupert Hensow and Gote by day, sir.' he answered only two at a time aye sir but the others rest in a room just above and are within sound of a cry or a whistle a room just above i didn't know that is there any communication between it and the room where they watch no sir you must go down a few stairs and through the door by the drawbridge and so to where the king is lodged and that door is locked only the four lords have keys sir." I drew nearer to him. "'And have they the keys of the grating?' I asked, in a low whisper. "'I think, sir, only Deschard and Rupert. "'Where does the Duke lodge?' "'In the chateau on the first floor. "'His apartments are on the right as you go towards the drawbridge. "'And Madame de Maubin?' "'Just opposite, on the left. "'But her door is locked after she has entered. "'To keep her in?' "'Doubtless, sir.' "'Perhaps for another reason?' "'It is possible. And the Duke, I suppose, has the key?' "'Yes. And the drawbridge is drawn back at night. And of that, too, the Duke holds the key, so that it cannot be run across the moat without application to him.' "'And where do you sleep?' "'In the entrance-hall of the chateau, with five servants.' "'Armed? They have pikes, sir, but no firearms. The Duke will not trust them with firearms.' Then at last I took the matter boldly into my hands." "'I had failed once at Jacob's ladder. "'I should fail again there. "'I must make the attack from the other side.' "'I have promised you twenty thousand crowns,' said I. "'You shall have fifty thousand, "'if you will do what I ask of you to-morrow night. "'But first, do those servants know who your prisoner is?' "'No, sir. "'They believe him to be some private enemy of the Duke's.' "'And they would not doubt that I am the King?' "'How should they?' he asked.' "'Look to this, then. "'Tomorrow, at two in the morning, exactly, "'fling open the front door of the chateau. "'Don't fail by an instant. "'Shall you be there, sir? "'Ask no questions. "'Do what I tell you. "'Say the hall is close, or what you will. "'That's all I ask of you. "'And may I escape by the door, sir, "'when I have opened it? "'Yes, as quick as your legs will carry you. "'One thing more. "'Carry this note to madame.' "'Oh, it's in French, you can't read it. "'And charge her, for the sake of all our lives, "'not to fail in what it orders.' The man was trembling, but I had to trust to what he had of courage, and to what he had of honesty. I dared not wait, for I feared that the king would die. When the fellow was gone, I called Zapt and Fritz to me, and unfolded the plan that I had formed. Zapt shook his head over it. "'Why can't you wait?' he asked. "'The king may die.' "'Michael will be forced to act before that. "'Then, said I, the King may live. "'Well, and if he does?' "'For a fortnight?' I asked, simply, "'and Zapt bit his moustache. "'Suddenly Fritz von Tallenheim laid his hand on my shoulder. "'Let us go and make the attempt,' said he. "'I mean you 2 Don't be afraid,' said I. "'Aye, but you stay here and take care of the Princess.' "'A gleam came into old Zapp's eyes. "'We should have Michael, one way or the other, then,' he chuckled. "'Whereas if you go, and are killed with the King, "'what will become of those of us who are left?' "'They will serve Queen Flavia,' said I, "'and I would to God I could be one of them.' "'A pause followed. "'Old Zap broke it, by saying sadly, "'yet with an unmeant drollery that set Fritz and me laughing.' Why didn't Old Rudolph the Third marry your great grandmother? Was it? Come, said I. It's the king we're thinking about. It's true, said Fritz. Moreover, I went on. I have been an impostor for the profit of another, but I will not be one for my own. And if the king is not alive and on his throne before the day of betrothal comes, I will tell the truth, come what may. You shall go, lad, said Zapt. "'Here is the plan I had made. A strong party under Zapt's command was to steal up to the door of the chateau. If discovered prematurely, they were to kill any who found them with their swords, for I wanted no noise of firing. If all went well, they would be at the door when Johan opened it. They were to rush in and secure the servants, if their mere presence and the use of the king's name were not enough. At the same moment—and on this hinged the plan—' A woman's cry was to ring out, loud and shrill, from Antoinette's de mobile's chamber. Again and again she was to cry, "'Help! Help! Michael, help!' And then to utter the name of young Rupert Hentzow. Then, as we hoped, Michael, in fury, would rush out of his apartment's opposite, and fall alive into the hands of Zapt. Still, the cries would go on. My men would let down the drawbridge, and it would be strange if Rupert, hearing his name thus taken in vain, did not descend from where he slept, and seek to cross. De Gauthier might or might not come with him. That must be left to chance. And when Rupert set his foot on the drawbridge? There was my part, for I was minded for another swim in the boat, and lest I should grow weary I had resolved to take with me a small wooden ladder, on which I could rest my arms in the water and my feet when I left it. I would rear it against the wall just by the bridge, and when the bridge was across I would stealthily creep on to it, and then, if Rupert or dogote crossed in safety, it would be my misfortune, not my fault. They dead, two men only would remain, and for them we must trust to the confusion we had created, and to a sudden rush. We should have the keys of the door that led to the all-important rooms. Perhaps they would rush out, if they stood by their orders, then the king's life hung on the swiftness with which we could force the outer door. And I thanked God that not Rupert Hensar watched, but Dechard. For though Deschard was a cool man, relentless and no coward, he had neither the dash nor the recklessness of Rupert. Moreover he, if any one of them, really loved Black Michael, and it might be that he would leave Bursonin to guard the king, and rush across the bridge to take part in the affray on the other side." So I planned, desperately, and that our enemy might be the better lulled to security, I gave orders that our residence should be brightly lighted from top to bottom, as though we were engaged in revelry, and so should be kept all night, with music playing and people moving to and fro. Strykens would be there, and he was to conceal our departure, if he could, from Flavia. And if we came not again by morning, he was to march openly and in force to the castle, and demand the person of the King. If Black Michael were not there, as I did not think he would be, the Marshal should take Flavia with him, as swiftly as he could, to Strelsau, and there proclaim Black Michael's treachery and the probable death of the King, and rally all that there was honest and true round the banner of the Princess. And to say truth, this was what I thought most likely to happen— "'for I had grave doubts whether either the king or Black Michael, "'or I had more than a day to live. "'Well, if Black Michael died, "'and if I, the play-actor, slew Rupert Hentzau with my own hand "'and then died myself, "'it might be that fate would deal as lightly with Ruritania as could be hoped, "'notwithstanding that she demanded the life of the king. "'And to her dealing thus with me I was in no temper to make objection. "'It was late when we rose from conference.' and I betook me to the princess's apartments. She was pensive that evening, yet when I left her she flung her arms about me, and grew for an instant bashfully radiant as she slipped a ring on my finger. I was wearing the king's ring, but I had also on my little finger a plain band of gold, engraved with the motto of our family, Nil qui Fakie. This I took off and put on her, and signed to her to let me go and she, understanding, stood away, and watched me with dimmed eyes. "'Wear that ring, even though you wear another when you are queen,' I said. "'Whatever else I wear, this I will wear till I die, and after,' said she, as she kissed the ring. End of chapter 16 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, and to find out how you could volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter The Prisoner of Zender By Anthony Hope CHAPTER Seventeen. YOUNG RUPERT'S MIDNIGHT DIVERSIONS The night came fine and clear. I had prayed for dirty weather, such as had favoured my previous voyage in the moat, but fortune was this time against me. Still, I reckoned that by keeping close under the wall and in the shadow, I could escape detection from the windows of the chateau that looked out over the scene of my efforts. If they searched the moat, indeed, my scheme must fail, but I did not think they would. They had made Jacob's Ladder secure against attack. Johann had himself helped to fix it closely to the masonry on the underside, so that it could not now be moved from below any more than from above. An assault with explosives, or a long battering with picks alone, could displace it, and the noise involved in either of those operations put them out of the question. What harm, then, could a man do in the moat? I trusted that Black Michael— Putting this query to himself, would answer confidently, None. While even if Johann meant treachery, he did not know my scheme, and would doubtless expect to see me at the head of my friends before the front entrance to the chateau. There, I said to Zapt, was the real danger. And there, I added, you shall be. Doesn't that content you? But it did not. Dearly would he have liked to come with me, had I not utterly refused to take him. One man might escape notice, to double the party more than doubled the risk, and when he ventured to hint once again that my life was too valuable, I, knowing the secret thought he clung to, sternly bade him to be silent, assuring him that unless the king lived through the night, I would not live through it either. At twelve o'clock, Zapp's command left the chateau of Tallenheim, and struck off to the right, riding by unfrequented roads and avoiding the town of Zender. If all went well, they would be in front of the castle by about a quarter to two. Leaving their horses half a mile off, they were to steal up to the entrance and hold themselves in readiness for the opening of the door. If the door were not opened by two, they were to send Fritz von Tallenheim round to the other side of the castle. I would meet him there, if I were alive, and we would consult whether to storm the castle or not. If I were not there— they were to return with all speed to Tallenheim, rouse the Marshal, and march in force to Zender. For if not there, I should be dead, and I knew that the King would not be alive five minutes after I had ceased to breathe. I must now leave Zapt and his friends, and relate how I myself proceeded on this eventful night. I went out on the good horse that had carried me on the night of the coronation back from the hunting-lodge to Strelsau. I carried a revolver in the saddle, and my sword. I was covered with a large cloak, and under this I wore a warm, tight-fitting woolen jersey, pair of knickerbockers, thick stockings, and light canvas shoes. I had rubbed myself thoroughly with oil, and I carried a large flask of whisky. The night was warm, but I might probably be immersed a long while, and it was necessary to take every precaution against cold, for cold not only saps a man's courage— if he has to die, but impairs his energy if others have to die, and finally gives him rheumatics, if it be God's will, that he lives. Also I tied round my body a length of thin but stout cord, and I did not forget my ladder. I, starting after Zat, took a shorter route, skirting the town to the left, and found myself in the outskirts of the forest at about half-past twelve. I tied my horse up in a thick clump of trees, leaving the revolver in its pocket in the saddle. It would be no use to me, and, ladder in hand, made my way to the edge of the moat. Here I unwound my rope from about my waist, bound it securely round the trunk of a tree on the bank, and let myself down. The castle clock struck a quarter to one as I felt the water under me, and began to swim round the keep, pushing the ladder before me, and hugging the castle wall. Thus, voyaging, I came to my old friend Jacob's Ladder, and felt the ledge of the masonry under me. I crouched down in the shadow of the great pipe. I tried to stir it, but it was quite immovable, and waited. I remember that my predominant feeling was neither anxiety for the king, nor longing for Flavia, but an intense desire to smoke, and this craving, of course, I could not gratify. The drawbridge was still in its place. I saw its airy, slight framework above me, some ten yards to my right, as I crouched with my back against the wall of the King's cell. I made out a window, two yards my side of it, and nearly on the same level. That if Johann spoke true must belong to the Duke's apartments, and on the other side, in about the same relative position, must be Madame de Maubin's window. Women are careless, forgetful creatures. I prayed that she might not forget that she was to be the victim of a brutal attempt at two o'clock precisely. I was rather amused at the part I had assigned to my young friend Rupert Hentzau, but I owed him a stroke, for even as I sat my shoulder ached where he had, with an audacity that seemed half to hide his treachery, struck at me in the sight of all my friends on the terrace at Tarlenheim. Suddenly the Duke's window grew bright. The shutters were not closed— and the interior became partially visible to me, as I cautiously raised myself till I stood on tiptoe. Thus placed, my range of sight embraced a yard or more inside the window, while the radius of light did not reach me. The window was flung open, and some one looked out. I marked Antoinette de Mauban's graceful figure, and though her face was in shadow, the fine outline of her head was revealed against the light behind. I longed to cry softly, "'Remember?' "'But I dared not. "'And happily, for a moment later, a man came up and stood by her. "'He tried to put his arm round her waist, "'but with a swift motion she sprang away and leant against the shutter, "'her profile toward me. "'I made out who the newcomer was. "'It was young Rupert. "'A low laugh from him made me sure, "'as he leant forward, stretching out his hand toward her. "'Gently, gently,' I murmured. "'You're too soon, my boy.' His head was close to hers. I suppose he whispered to her, for I saw her point to the moat, and I heard her say, in slow and distinct tones, "'I had rather throw myself out of this window.' He came up close to the window and looked out. "'It looks cold,' said he. "'Come, Antoinette, are you serious?' She made no answer as far as I heard, and he, smiting his hand petulantly on the window sill went on, in the voice of some spoilt child. "'Hang, Black Michael! Isn't the princess enough for him? Is he to have everything? What the devil do you see in Black Michael?' "'If I told him what you say,' she began. "'Well, tell him,' said Rupert, carelessly. And catching her off her guard, he sprang forward and kissed her, laughing and crying. "'There's something to tell him.' If I had kept my revolver with me, I should have been very sorely tempted. Being spared the temptation, I merely added this new score to his account. Though Faith, said Rupert, it's little he cares. He's mad about the princess, you know. He talks of nothing but cutting the play-actor's throat. Didn't he, indeed? And if I do it for him, what do you think he's promised me?' The unhappy woman raised her hands above her head, in prayer or in despair. "'But I detest waiting,' said Rupert, and I saw that he was about to lay his hand on her again, when there was the noise of a door in the room opening, and a harsh voice cried, "'What are you doing here, sir?' Rupert turned his back to the window, bowed low, and said in his loud merry tones, "'Apologising for your absence, sir?' I leave the lady alone the newcomer must be black michael i saw him directly as he advanced toward the window he caught young rupert by the arm the vote would hold more than the king said he with a significant gesture does your highness threaten me asked rupert a threat is more warning than most men get from me yet observed rupert Rudolph Rassendil has been much threatened, and yet lives.' "'Am I in fault because my servants bungle?' asked Michael scornfully. "'Your Highness has run no risk of bungling,' sneered Rupert. "'It was telling the Duke that he shirked danger as plain as ever I have heard a man told. Black Michael had self-control. I dare say he scowled. It was a great regret to me that I could not see their faces better.' but his voice was even and calm as he answered. "'Enough, enough! We mustn't quarrel, Rupert. Are Detchard and Berthonin at their posts?' They are, sir. I need you no more.' "'Nay, I'm not oppressed with fatigue,' said Rupert. "'Pray, sir, leave us,' said Michael, more impatiently. "'In ten minutes the drawbridge will be drawn back, "'and I presume you have no wish to swim to your bed?' "'Rupert's figure disappeared. "'I heard the door open and shut again. "'Michael and Antoinette de Maubin were left together. "'To my chagrin, the Duke laid his hand on the window and closed it. "'He stood talking to Antoinette for a moment or two. "'She shook her head, and he turned impatiently away. "'She left the window. "'The door sounded again.' and Black Michael closed the shutters. "'Degote! Degote! Men!' sounded from the drawbridge. "'Unless you want a bath before your bed, come along!' It was Rupert's voice, coming from the end of the drawbridge. A moment later he and Degote stepped out on the bridge. Rupert's arm was through Degote's, and in the middle of the bridge he detained his companion and leant over. I dropped behind the shelter of Jacob's Ladder. Then Master Rupert had a little sport. He took from Degote a bottle which he carried, and put it to his lips. "'Hardly a drop!' he cried discontentedly, and flung it in the moat. It fell, as I judged, from the sound and the circles on the water, within a yard of the pipe, and Rupert, taking out his revolver, began to shoot at it. The first two shots missed the bottle, but hit the pipe. The third shattered the bottle. I hoped that the young ruffian would be content, but he emptied the other barrels at the pipe, and one, skimming over the pipe, whistled through my hair as I crouched on the other side. "'Where bridge?' a voice cried, to my relief. Rupert and de cried, "'A moment!' and ran across. The bridge was drawn back, and all became still. The clock struck a quarter past one, I rose and stretched myself and yawned. I think some ten minutes had passed when I heard a slight noise to my right. I peered over the pipe, and saw a dark figure standing in the gateway that led to the bridge. It was a man. By the careless graceful poise, I guessed it to be Rupert again. He held a sword in his hand, and he stood motionless for a minute or two. Wild thoughts ran through me. On what mischief was the young fiend bent now? Then he laughed low to himself. Then he turned his face to the wall, took a step in my direction, and, to my surprise, began to climb down the wall. In an instant I saw that there must be steps in the wall. It was plain. They were cut into, or affixed to the wall, at intervals of about eighteen inches. Rupert set his foot on the lower one. Then he placed his sword between his teeth, turned round, and— noiselessly let himself down into the water. Had it been a matter of my life only, I would have swum to meet him. Dearly would I have loved to fight it out with him, then and there, with steel, on a fine night, and none to come between us. But there was the King. I restrained myself, but I could not bridle my swift breathing, and I watched him with the intentest eagerness. He swam leisurely and quietly across. There were more footsteps on the other side— and he climbed them. When he set foot in the gateway, standing on the drawn back bridge, he felt in his pocket and took something out. I heard him unlock the door. I could hear no noise of it closing behind him. He vanished from my sight. Abandoning my ladder, I saw I did not need it, now. I swam to the side of the bridge and climbed halfway up the steps. There I hung, with my sword in my hand, listening eagerly. The Duke's room was shuttered and dark, There was a light in the window on the opposite side of the bridge. Not a sound broke the silence, till half-past one chimed from the great clock in the tower of the chateau. There were other plots than mine afoot in the castle that night. End of chapter 17